Thank you, Siri. Okay, so um, we're continuing today with our Ask the Pastor series. And if you were worried that we weren't going to get to um, talking about Jesus, the bread of life, have no fear <laughs> because uh, for the next, I think five weeks or four after this, we're we are gonna be kind of stalled in the sixth chapter of John, which is all about the bread of life. And um, I know that when I go away on, a, on my day off in a couple of weeks and Caroline will be taking over, I know this happens to be one of her favorite passages that she's gonna be speaking on this. So we're gonna get plenty of the bread of life. Don't worry, don't worry, have no fear. Or as Jesus says, be not afraid. But today I wanna go back. Um, we have a couple more weeks of an opportunity for you to ask any question about Bible, church, uh, Lutheran church, whatever kind of religion, spiritual questions you might have. I still have a couple on my list, but if you have a question, send it to me and we'll try to get it in um, before the summer is over. So today, and this is a good one for today, actually, um, someone asked, how do we reconcile our faith with many of the events described in the Old Testament? And perfect for today, right? Because we see the, the reading that was from Kings, which is very similar, or you can see uh, vestiges of it in the gospel reading about uh, feeding people, uh, feeding a lot of people with a little bit of, of food. So we know that there are connections, right? Between the Old Testament and the New, but sometimes we don't really know um, how, how to take things that are in, the Old Testament, or we don't know what our relationship as Christians should be to the Old Testament, especially some of the hard parts. I assume that the, the person, the questioner, was referring to some of the parts of the Old Testament that actually are rather violent. There's some, there's some pretty scary stuff <laughs> that happens in there that we really, we don't like. Um, so what do we do with it? Well, just so you know, that scholars have been talking about this like from the very beginning, and, and it's a very complex subject. Uh, and, and Christians have been struggling with this, this violent aspect in the Old Testament from the very beginning. For instance, in the first century, Marcion, who was a, a theologian of the time, he decided and he taught that the benevolent God of the gospels who sent Jesus into the world as our savior was the real God, the real supreme being. And that was a very different entity from the, the, the he called it a demiurge, but sort of a lesser God that he identified with the creator and the God of the, of the Old Testament. Well, he was denounced as a heretic but, but really, I mean, these there are many ways that even people today will try to make sense out of these things. Um, some people will say, well, the God of the Old Testament was the, the, the God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is God of love, but you find the God of love in the Old Testament as well. So it's not all that clear. So anyhow, it would be hard to answer this question without really going into a a long overview of the history and the development of the theology of the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to do that because we'd be probably here all day. Um, the New Testament, of course, is easier. G is all about Jesus, right? Um, although 
to understand Jesus, we have to understand where he was coming from. His Bible was the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And, and with Old Testament readings, we get snippets right here and there on Sundays when we have a, our first reading from the Old Testament, we get snippets, but it's hard that way to really get an overview of the whole story, um, let alone how to deal with those individual problem passages. And, and within Judaism, they have the same problems. I was watching a, a video last week um, that was from a Jewish institute and one of the scholars was, was talking about the difficulty of, of this kind of thing. And her solution, actually what she's suggesting is that everyone, uh, all members of the synagogue learn to read Hebrew. <laughs> so they would know the original language and be able to tell the nuances and the, the poetry and the, and the irony and things that are there in the language that might not transfer into English. And I, I thought as I heard that, I, I could actually see rabbis across the country shaking their heads and thinking, oh, good luck with that, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, Old Testament theology, I had two semesters of it in, in seminary, plus a class on the prophets and on wisdom literature and the Hebrew. And, and now my job is to like figure out how to get that to you and how to make it relevant to us as followers of Jesus. And it does relate, it does relate. And it relates to things going on this very day from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, even to the January 6th insurrection. So, all right, very quickly, you may already know this. There are three main divisions of, of the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible. In Judaism, the Hebrew Bible is called the Tanakh. Three main sections, Torah, right? Sometimes we call it the law. That's the five books uh, of Moses, not written by Moses, but used to be thought to be written by Moses, but it, but it wasn't many writers. Five, first five books, the Pentateuch is Torah. And then the prophets, you know, eight books. There are eight books in two different groups. And these, um, these this collection of texts spans many uh, centuries, actually. We have all of these different different prophets. And then the writings. Oh, and I should say that the Torah in Judaism is the highest scriptural, scripture authority. That has carries the most weight. The prophets, a little bit lesser. Still a, a heavy authority, but not as much as Torah. And then the writings are the least authoritative. So you get the poetic books like Psalms, Job, Proverbs, uh, Ruth, Esther, Lamentation, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastics, um, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. Now those are the three main things, but there's also one little addendum. There's one apocalyptic book, Daniel. We won't go into that. And depending on whether you are Jewish or Christian, Catholic, Protestant, um, there are discrepancies in the ordering of the books, and your Bible might actually have some extra books, the Apocrypha books, um, and these are even less authoritative, um, but some, some do include them as, as documents. So anyway, that's the, that's the story, and the, you can tell that the timeline and the development and the collection of the Old Testament books, I mean, it's just all over the place. Um, 
it might help us to know if we're going to try to get a grasp on what the Old Testament is all about, is thinking about the, the, um, the history, Israel's history is in three identifiable periods of time. The time before the monarchs, so from the beginning, from creation, to the rise of King David in 1000 BCE. Then there was the time of the monarchs from David to the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC. And then the time after the monarchs from 587 um, on into what developed into what became Judaism, modern day Judaism. And that time encompassed both the exile and the recovery from exile. Okay, so take all of that and understand that as we try to figure out what the Old Testament means to us, it's not a history book. Do not take this as historical, historical fact, because you're going to get, you're going to have problems with it. Um, not more than two generations ago, scholars believed that the biblical storyline pretty much reflected the, the, the actual historical timeline of Israel. But within recent decades, uh, the emergence of new uh, methodology with archeology span and other um, perspectives, most scholars conclude that the storyline in the Old Testament is not a reliable a guide for what happened. We don't know literally what happened although scholars continue to study and argue uh, and think about it. What we have in the Old Testament, this is what we have to remember when we get to these difficult passages, is that through these generations, through these centuries, we have uh, storytelling, we have tradition building, we have people through the years interpreting and layering on um, information and stories and imagination um, and, and creating this tradition of, of what they saw as, as their story. And so it might make it more complicated, but we cannot claim these stories to be historical fact. Okay, got that. So now what do we do about these problem passages? Probably the biggest example that people will talk about having problems with is the Hebrew conquest of Canaan, the promised land, right? Um, they come into Canaan and it's a violent takeover, right? We have all of these, these passages about, you know, smiting the, the Ammonites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the other ites. They're always smiting people. And we just think that what? And, and it's that God said, God said, do this. What do we do with that? Well, we could throw it all out a la Marcion, right? Um, we could do what Calvin, John Calvin, back in his day, he went with the, and I won't, I won't go here, but he said it was God's will. God commanded it and God's commands must be obeyed. Um, we have others who say for Christians, that was the God of wrath. Um, and now it's Christianity and we don't want anything to do with that. So uh, Christianity won and forget all that. None of those work. None of those work. Like the difficult sayings that we have of Jesus, right? Well, there's, there's some stuff that Jesus says that we, we kind of go, whoa, what did he say? 
um, we have to deal with them. We got to figure out what, what's going on if we're going to be serious about, about being people of the book, right? So probably the biggest, the, the one book that causes us the most um, agita, <laughs> most heartburn is the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, Moses has died, has passed on leadership to the younger generation, to Joshua. And so you go, the people now go from their buoyant, joyful anticipation of entering a promised land into violent invasion and takeover, possession of the land, because there were people there. They didn't go someplace that was just empty. There were people there. You know the story of Jericho, right? You probably know the song about Joshua fit the, the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, right? Um, Jericho, the city of Jericho in Canaan was their, their first battle and their first conquest. And you might know the story of how the Israelites marched around the city walls once a day for six days and seven, day, seven times on the seventh day. And on that day, they would blow their shofars, the ram's horn. And guess what? The walls fell. The walls came crumbling down. It's a great story, right? Excavations at the site of the biblical Jericho, however, fail to substantiate the story. It's a story. However, that story is the basis for a lot of stuff that goes on today. Take, for instance, the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict. I mean, I'm sure we're all quite aware of this ongoing conflict that just doesn't seem to have any resolution. Well, according to Rachel um, Haverlock, who's the Associate Professor of Jewish Studies at the University of Illinois at Chicago, um, and she's trained in Hebrew, uh, Hebrew Bible, the rabbinics and folklore um, and Middle East studies, she says, no biblical text has ever been more central to the politics of modern Israel than the book of Joshua. Named after a military leader who became the successor to Moses, it depict, depicts the march of the ancient Israelites into Canaan, describing how they subjugated and massacred the indigenous peoples. The very words for occupation and settlement come right out of Joshua. And then you can see how that, I mean, let's not just point the finger at other countries when we start talking about the eradication of indigenous peoples, we can look to our own history um, for that. And then with Christianity too, in a more recent event, and I didn't know this, I just found this out very recently, but on January 6th, there was a group of people who were part of the um, the march on, on Washington, on the Capitol, called Jericho March. Jericho March is, a, a, it's sort of a loose coalition of people who after the uh, 2020 election started fasting and praying and marching daily around their state capitals, seeking divine intervention to overturn what they saw as a fraudulent election. Um, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn likened these protesters um, at Stop the Steal events to the biblical soldiers and priests who breached the walls of Jericho. And on January 6th in Washington, they marched and they blew the shofars to banish what they called the darkness of election fraud 
and to ensure that the walls of corruption would crumble. So Joshua continues to play a role in both Judaism and Christianity. So it would behoove us to pay attention to it and understand um, this part of our, our uh, religious history. And Rachel Haverlock says, as I has recommended in the Israeli case, so I suggest in the American one, read the whole book of Joshua. The first half of Joshua revels in the genocidal campaign of a unified army. But the second half shows that no concerted war actually occurred. Allegedly exterminated people persisted as neighbors in a social structure where a range of different groups negotiated daily life on a shared land. And stories, of course, rose up and came about um, in the midst of this sharing of the land and maybe some conflicts that they had in the process. You know, people are people. We all have conflicts with our neighbors at times. And so these stories um, came to be. So how do we reconcile our faith with these events in the Old Testament? Well, I mean, first of all, understand that the development of the Old Testament was really complex and it took place over a long stretch of time with many different authors, many layers upon layers of tradition on these stories. So understand that about it. Much more complex than the New Testament, right? Much broader space of time. So understand that and ask questions. Ask questions. If you read something in the Old Testament and you go, what, what? That's crazy, what is that? Ask questions. Um, ask your pastor, ask, you know, find whatever. Um, ask questions like, when was this written? When was this written? For instance, the creation stories were written during the exile in Babylon. Why were, why were they telling that story then? Ask questions about it. Um, employ, now this might be a, an unfamiliar phrase, but I'll explain it in a second. Employ a hermeneutic of suspicion. Big fancy word. Hermeneutic is just a methodology of interpretation used for biblical texts, right? Hermeneutics. We have to take a class on that in seminary. That's where we learn to say it, hermeneutics. Um, but it's interpretation of suspicion. And this began in the 1960s. It's a way of, of thinking um, that words might not always mean what they seem to mean. That, that there are some forms of expression in the Bible, like allegory, uh, like myth, like irony, that depend on this fact. They're not literal. Sometimes a hermeneutic of suspicion is important for, for more negative reasons. Like when we suspect that a text might not be telling us the whole truth. Examples would be like um, what New Testament texts tell us about the role of women in early Christianity which naturally reflect the, the patriarchal assumptions of the time or what they tell us about the Jews and about the Pharisees, which what clearly influenced by quarrels between the early church and the synagogue. So we need to know that. You can get a hold of a good introduction to the Old Testament, a, a newer one a recent one with, with good recent scholarship. A good one would be Walter Brueggemann's Introduction to the Old Testament 
the canon and Christian imagination because it is written for congregational use. It's not a highfalutin, big academic, big words thing. Um, not that you can't do big words, but it's for congregational use. Um, really good. And be open to learning, even if it challenges maybe some of the assumptions that you've learned over the years. Old Testament theology in seminary is probably the most challenging course for a lot of new seminarians because it just sort of blows your mind of, wait a minute, that didn't happen the way we always were taught it was, wait a minute. But be, be ready to be challenged. Be curious about how the text is understood in Judaism because it's not always the same as we take it in Christianity. And there are ways of talking about that. Understand that this is Jesus's Bible. Of course, the Torah was most important, but also the prophets, obviously, to Jesus. But Jesus didn't pick up on these violent texts. There's nothing about that. He might have understood better than modern readers do that these stories were not literal, um, that, that these were what Walter Brueggemann calls imaginative remembering, which is not untruths. There are truths buried in these stories, but we might have to dig around in them a little bit to really get to what's going on underneath these layers of imaginative remembering. And of course, I'm your pastor, so I have to say, get into a Bible study. This is the way to do it. Um, you know, I know it's not a, a big popular thing thing to do these days, but and people are busy and, and things, but these are this is important stuff. It relates to daily life, it relates to politics. I know we're not supposed to bring politics into the pulpit, but guess what? The whole Old Testament is based on politics. Um, it just is. So get into Bible study. We actually have good discussions <laughs> and, and we learn stuff. So I'm going to open it up if anybody has any questions. Anybody have any questions of that um, that I can answer quickly or maybe for another, another session? Anything that anybody wants to question or comment on? I put you all to sleep. If I put you all to sleep, I'm going to wake you up with... Um, we are going to be doing a, a hymn of the day throughout these these the season of bread of life, so we're going to continue with um, with that hymn of the day.
apologies for my microphone cutting out. It got disconnected from a, apparently a hungry dog was playing with the cord down oh, there. Oh, dear. All right, I'm going to